Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, thank you, Father Mario, and uh, I don't know how this all worked, how you got here, if you were told you were coming, or you were just really desiring it, or maybe a combination, but uh, it's good to see all of you. About a month ago, Father Mario gave me the list of all your names, so I've been praying with you and what you do here and your responsibilities, but I had no idea what you look like, and uh, so it's good to see all of you. I filled in some faces decently, but others I just guessed and I was wrong, so uh, good to see all of you uh, as well. Hopefully we get to know each other a little bit throughout the day. I certainly will be sharing stories, but I thought what we could do is a real quick way for me to get to know you is I'm going to ask you some questions and then raise your hand if it's true for you, right? So a really easy way to know. So raise your hand if you were born and raised Catholic. You've been Catholic your whole life. Okay, almost all of you. Great. All right. Raise your hand if even though you were born and raised Catholic, you eventually somewhere along the line had a major encounter that really set your life in a different direction. Good, good. So some of you was just natural. Some of you, there was a maybe a retreat or a presentation or something maybe tragic in your life, made you reflect on some things. That's great. All right. Raise your hand if you have been working at the diocesan level longer than 10 years. Great. Okay, good. Raise your hand if you've been working at the diocesan level less than a year. Oh, nice balance. Good. You know, you got it, Jeremy. Okay. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've gone on a vacation in the last year that uh, you really like, but it felt like it was 10 years ago at this point. <laughs> hey. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, last week. Nice. Exactly. All right. <clears throat> Raise your hand if you've been working in the church long enough to be uh, hurt or disappointed by someone in the church. Great. Yeah, nice. That's called being human. Sorry. I'm sorry that happened to you. It's sad, but it's, it happens. It happened for the apostles, too, but it doesn't make it okay, so I'm sorry. Raise your hand if you've been working long enough at the church where you met someone who was really inspiring to you, and you said, this person is what it means to be a disciple. Yeah, those persons last for eternity. What you saw in them is actually the deepest reality. That's really good. That's good. Raise your hand if today you're like, I'm just happy not to be behind a desk. All right, I just get to be relaxed a little bit. Great. Some of you are workaholics and wish you were still behind the desk. That's great. All right. <laughs> Don't worry, today's going to have a combination. If you're an extrovert, there'll be time to talk. If you're an introvert, there'll be alone time. So every one of your needs, you'll be very safe. All right, so that's great. Well, a little bit about me. Um, So I was born in Chicago. My dad was Jewish. My mom was Catholic. It was my dad's second marriage. From his first marriage, uh, I have a half-brother and half-sister who live about 10 minutes from here. They live in Bloomfield Hills. They're both Jewish. They go to Temple Israel, somewhere around here. I've been there four times in the last five years for uh, three bar mitzvahs and a bat mitzvah. Uh, I think I'm the only guy in a Roman collar to have been there in a long time. Um, My mom and dad got divorced when I was 18. Going through high school, faith, religion, things like that, I wouldn't have been insightful. I wasn't an academic by any means, so I wouldn't have been as well thought out. But my basic understanding was, uh, if you need Jesus and prayer, that's good. You should have it if you need it. But if you don't need it, that's great too. That's as far as I thought about it. So kind of saw it like an Advil. Oh, you have a headache. Take an Advil. You you don't have a headache. You don't need the Advil. No big deal. And I didn't think twice about it. I was on a full ride for jazz trumpet performance. I played with the Cleveland Jazz Orchestra. I went to the Berkeley School of Music. Uh, they have a satellite campus in Cleveland. I was there. The plan was two years there, two years in Berkeley and Boston, and 
to become, if you're old enough, the next Doc Severinsen, next generation down, went Marsalis. After that, no one knows trumpet players. Okay. <laughs> From there, I ended up switching, and I ended up getting into acting and improv comedy. As Father Mario said, I performed with uh, cast members from Second City in Cleveland, and I was on my way to do that for a while when I did have a really powerful experience. I was asked to take out the trash for our local high school retreat, which I was happy to do. I'd never done it before, never volunteered. Thought, you know what? People volunteer. I should try volunteering. I'll take out the trash. So I went, and halfway through most high school retreats, uh, I'm in college at this point, Saturday night, confessions, adoration. You get them when they're tired. It's usually a pretty big moment, right? And uh, I'm taking out the trash, and these three high school girls said, hey, Ryan, have you gone to confession yet? I had not been since my first Holy Communion when I was eight. I was about 20 at this time. Jazz and acting weren't necessarily the most virtuous path. So I thought, you know, I'm okay. I'm here to take out trash. And they said, well, we'll wait in line with you, as if that was the problem. I didn't want to wait alone. I said, oh, how nice. <clears throat> so <laughs> we wait in line, and I thought, for sure, by the time I get up there, something's going to, but nothing. They all, I just was able to go. I did the best confession I could and had a very powerful encounter that night in adoration. And that night, I met uh, what Mother Teresa would call the living Jesus. He goes from a standard or an idea to a real living presence, someone you can encounter and talk to, and more importantly, he talks to you. And there he said two words to me that I felt deep in my heart, which was very simple. I know. Now, it wasn't like a helicopter parent, I know, like I know that you snuck Oreos into your bed last night, we have to talk. It was like, I know what's behind the facades. I know what's inside of you. I know what's been hard for you. I know what your secret dreams and hopes are for your life. And I know at 19 or 20 years old, we have already compromised and thought there's no way those can come true. It was, as St. John of the Cross would say later on, is a loving knowing and a knowing loving. It was wonderfully warm and tender. It was a really powerful experience for me. So from there, about a year later, I entered the seminary. Seminary was not easy for me at all. I did not like it. <clears throat> but I couldn't leave because I was haunted by a question. If Simon didn't say yes, there wouldn't have been a Peter. If Saul didn't say yes, there wouldn't be a Paul. If I don't give my yes, what won't the world and the church have? And so every time that would, time to write your end of the year evaluation, do you plan to come back? Are they going to take you back? I would be plagued with this little litany. And it led me over and over again to say, all right, the only reason I want to leave is because it's hard. I don't want to leave because I feel called to marriage. I just want to leave because it's hard and I don't like it. So I, I got to stay. You don't leave because you don't like something. You stay in it and you see what happens. So I got ordained and it's been really, priesthood has had a lot of beauty to it, a lot of brokenness to it. Uh, but fundamentally, I operate out of basically one real reality, which is that human life is richer and more beautiful with Jesus than without him. That's my basic modus operandi, is human life, your humanity, all of yours, unrepeatable, is much richer and more beautiful with Jesus in it than without him. And then later on, you can deal with the apologetics of the Catholic Church is the one he founded and why. But that's the first fundamental conviction, is that Jesus is always a gift, never a burden. He always is awakening things in you and affirming things in you that make you shine like the stars, as St. Paul says that makes you worthy of anybody's time and attention. Even if another person is so broken or busy, they can't give you that. You're worthy of that. 
So <clears throat> it's fall of 2014. I've been ordained four months at this point. And uh, I'm online in my office and I see some sort of Catholic headline that says, prominent Monsignor dies. We don't have Monsignors in my diocese. So I thought, well, this is interesting. Who is this? So I click on it and it takes me to a man named Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete. He was Puerto Rican, but he was in D.C. and New York. He was a spiritual father to the communion and liberation movement in America. He was the founding professor uh, for the JP2 Center for Marriage and Family in D.C. He was also a friend and theological advisor to both John Paul II and a little bit to Pope Benedict, although I don't think he needed any advising. But he's also incredibly funny. He said his favorite, his favorite commentators on Scripture were Monty Python. Right? He was an overweight man, constantly disheveled, a chain smoker, and everyone was drawn to him. From secular atheist to religious order, they wanted to be around this man because he was so free. And he witnessed to a way of being human that resonated with everybody. I went down a rabbit hole, reading, watching videos, all these things. A few years ago, they started an Albacete Forum. And I've been able to speak on behalf of Albacete in the forum. So you're going to get a little bit of him today as I sprinkle some quotes in. But let me start with this story of him so you can capture a little bit what he's like. John Paul II called him and another priest in to consult on a theological issue. So there they are in the room. The Holy Father, John Paul II, and a priest, perfectly coiffed hair, cufflinks, Amazing cassock, leather dossier open up, everything, his fine theological distinctions, and they're waiting for Albacete. All of a sudden, Albacete comes in late, all right, a shirt just like I have on right now, a short sleeve clerical shirt, covered in powdered sugar, disheveled, and he sits down and pulls a napkin out of his pocket and says, Sorry, I'm late. Holy Father says, Welcome, Lorenzo. And he says, Why don't you go first? The father who got here first and was on time. So he begins and says beautiful teachings and quoting from all different eras of the tradition. And Holy Fathers, thank you for your service to the church and helping us understand these difficult topics. You've served it well. And he goes, Holy Father, thank you. I was up so late. The idea that I got to meet the successor of St. Peter, I couldn't sleep. It was so amazing. I, so thank you. I'm glad it went well. Thank you, Holy Father. He goes, you did fine, my son. You did fine. Lorenzo? And Lorenzo says, I slept great. <laughs> He goes, and the reason I was late was there's a beautiful little donut shop right outside of the Vatican. He goes, I had one, and I was on my way, and I thought, what if the second coming happens, I don't get a second donut? He goes, so I went back and got the second donut, and he goes, and while I was there, I realized you probably want me to give you something, so I wrote my ideas on this napkin. Right? He wasn't being ridiculous. He just sincerely was ridiculous. Right? And actually, John Paul II went with his insights. He also was a physicist and brilliant before he became a priest. So, Albacete. <clears throat> He's riding in the car with the cardinal secretary. He was the cardinal secretary of D.C. and then New York. And they're behind a car at a red light. And on the bumper, it says, Jesus is the answer. And the cardinal goes, that's really nice. Proclaim into the world, Jesus is the answer. And Albacete has, says, well, what the hell's the question? <laughs> that little thing he says right there is, I would submit to you today, the key to the church in the modern world. Everyone knows we've been claiming Jesus is the answer for 2,000 years. No one cares. What is the question, or more importantly, the desire 
by which we're claiming Jesus is the fulfillment? What are they meant to locate within their human experience and their own heart, in their own interiority? What are they meant to bring to Jesus to discover He is the fulfillment? It's like telling someone water's really delicious, but they're not thirsty. Or you ever been to someone's house and you didn't know they were going to serve food and you ate beforehand, and all of a sudden this beautiful looking food is distasteful to you. Even though it looks beautiful, like, I can't, I can't have any more. Jesus is the answer. You should become a disciple. Why? Well, he's the truth. We don't care about truth. Well, he made my life great. Well, good. You needed Advil. What is it in us? And so Monsignor Albacete would begin priest retreats, always reflecting on the Gospel of John. These are Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John to all of humanity. So, you know, if you're going to do an inaugural address, you want it perfect. These are the first words Jesus says to all of humanity. What are you looking for? Or what are you seeking? Or what do you desire? Now today I'm going to give you a whole, uh, all all the quotes I'm going to use and a bunch of others. I said these are some great quotes. Well, I think so. Uh, So you may not like them. You can throw them away. I don't care. But if you like them, you don't have to worry about writing all the quotes down. I'm going to give this to you. You'll have it. All right, so if you're one of those people, if you want someone that's like, I don't care, then just take it to be nice and then throw it away. Okay. <clears throat> what are you looking for? I just take a moment actually today. Are you looking for this to be over today? How quickly can we get to the afternoon so I can go home? How quickly can I get to a break so I can check my email without Father Mario seeing? Am I looking for a deep encounter with Jesus that would remind me why I'm alive and that he's real and I'd be so in love with the church and Christ again, life would seem easy. Do you even want that? I desire actually to call my spouse because we got in a fight this morning and I feel insecure when I get in fights. I'm longing for a spouse still and this past weekend's date sucked. What are you desiring? It doesn't have to be religious because we're human. Not every aspect of us is meant to be religious. To my religious sister, it's different for us, right? But yeah, great. But even that, you have cravings for food and, you know, watch a little TV when mother's not watching. Okay, great. So, by the way, I loved your sisters with Archbishop Chaput. I used to have breakfast with them. They were wonderful. Did I see you in Philly and Denver? I was in Denver. I was always in Denver. What's your name? Okay. I visited him in Denver a couple times, too. So, I don't know. Okay, anyway, sorry, it's a little aside. Those of you who are listening at home, sorry. Okay, so, yeah, that's great. So Albacete says this about what are you looking for? This seems to be an important question for the rest of the gospel because the rest of the gospel is the interplay between the question and Jesus proposing himself as the answer. Christ identifying himself is that which fulfills those desires. What kind of desires are we talking about? But if we are not familiar with those desires, or haven't really thought it through, we cannot recognize the value of whatever it is Jesus offers us. So if we don't even know we're hungry, food isn't that great of news. If we don't even know we need to rest, a bed isn't the greatest thing. If we really think working harder, faster, and trying more, if we really desire that to be the answer, 
Jesus who says, come and rest with me, or gives us the example of spending time with God, that's going to seem annoying. What are we really looking for? How often do we give our interior life a space? And where do we encounter Jesus for this to all take place? So here's a great question for us. If Jesus is alive and with us always, and this will be a little audience participation time, uh, introverts, don't worry, there's no finger pointing. You can ask whenever you'd like. Here's a little question for you. Where do we encounter Jesus in 2023? Where do you encounter him? Anyone can shout out. You all work for the church. Okay, mass in each other. Great, where else? Anywhere else? The poor, great. Adoration, wonderful. Where else? Great, very nice. The word, yeah, scriptures, great. Those are really awesome things, right? And so this is what I began to notice in my first years of priesthood. We've been doing all of those more than ever before. Like if you look at the last 50 to 100 years of the church in America, we offer more masses, more scripture studies, more small group opportunities, more catechetical events, more opportunities to serve the poor local and beyond, more mission trips. We offer more community events than any other time in church history, especially in the church in America. And numbers are going down. Less and less people even care about our claims of Jesus. So if encounters with Jesus bring about the beauty we keep claiming, what are we missing? I think it's this interior place I'm talking about. This desires, this what are you looking for? The catechism in the scriptures, we simply call it the heart. Listen to this quote by Gaudium et Spes, the official church document of Vatican II. <clears throat> man plunges into, and it's men and women, man plunges into the depths of reality when he enters into his own heart. And then the catechism. The heart is the dwelling place. It is a place of encounter. It is beyond reason and the grasp of others. Meaning these deeper places, you can't just get to simply through reflection. It's beyond reason. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals the depths. But we can begin to notice something when we give ourselves the space on a day like this of what's going on inside of me. What am I looking for? What am I seeking? So Father Mario mentioned... Uh, <clears throat> IPF, Institute for Priestly Formation. This is when I first started learning about desires having a role in our lives, let alone in our walk with God. And uh, it's, it's nine weeks. Week eight, we're told tomorrow night we're going to meet our spiritual mom. Didn't know I had one, and it's not Mary. Turns out there was a, a group of women in Omaha who took a name and was praying for all the seminarians all summer long, praying and fasting for us. There's going to be a big banquet that night where we get to meet our spiritual mom. So I've learned for eight weeks that our desires matter. And we don't have to have any shame around them. So I'm at breakfast that morning, and I tell uh, one of the seminarians who's there, I said, I go, we get to meet our spiritual mom tonight. He goes, yeah. I go, I said, I hope my mom is young and cute because I miss all my female friends, and I hope she has kids because I like to play. And um, he's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> And then he shamed me. He said, 
Are you sure you're called to be a priest? Those don't sound like celibate desires. See, these deep places are very sensitive, and that shut me down pretty deeply. So I went to my spiritual director at the time, who if you guys have ever heard of him, Monsignor John Essif. He was mother, one of Mother Teresa's spiritual directors. Padre Pio was his when he was a young priest. I told him the whole story. He said, you find that seminarian, you tell him to go to hell. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I was like, I'm not going to do that, but at least I feel a little better. Well, unbeknownst to me, this seminarian went around and was telling all the other seminarians that I wanted my spiritual mom to be young and cute and have kids. So now they're all mocking me throughout the day. And I'm like, this day sucks. So we get to that night and uh, I get my table. I sit down and I'm sitting in one chair all right, and everyone's at the table and these three other seminarians with their spiritual moms are all here. And there's an empty chair next to me where my spiritual mom should be. And I'm just waiting. And Father Rich Gabuzda, who's about pretty tall man, he comes and puts his hand on my back. He says, Ryan. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, spiritual, your spiritual mom got confused. She's gone today. She thought it was next week. She won't be able to come. And I was like, oh my gosh, that guy was right. I shouldn't have had these desires. But then he goes, but, and I believe her name was Amanda, but we would like to know if you'd like to have Amanda. Now, Amanda was a college cheerleader and volleyball player, and she was interning that summer for IPF. And I said, I would love for her to be my spiritual mom. And so I, I gave her my arm as the gentleman I am, and then I paraded her all around the banquet center <laughs> until I came down to the table where I wanted to sit. And I was sitting there just proud as could be as that God listens to all of our desires, even if they're petty. But as I'm sitting there talking and sharing, I realized my heart still wasn't fulfilled. So I got a little bit of fulfillment of what I thought I wanted, but there was a restlessness growing in me. What I realized is what I really was desiring was the whole family experience. The mom and dad and kids. And I kind of wanted to play with kids, play catch or throw a fridge. I, I realized that's what I was desiring. No sooner was I aware of it, Father Gabuzda comes by and says, we need her back at the registration table. But someone showed up with her husband and kids, and she didn't know what she was supposed to do, but she just showed up. We set up another table. Would you like to go sit with her? I said, I would love to. Uh, so I went and sat, and I ended up going to their house several times the rest of the summer, playing with the kids. I still get text messages from them on an occasion. We still stay in touch now almost 14 years later. God really cares about your heart. It's we who evaluate what is noble and holy and bad or benign in our interior life. God is not the one who says it doesn't matter. Someone else in your life may have told you. Maybe your parents did it at one point because they were just stressed and they're broken too. And God willing, they go to the confessional just like we do. Maybe it was a boss. Maybe he was wearing a collar like I'm wearing that made it seem like you weren't insignificant and that your interior life didn't matter to God. But it matters a lot to him. He really cares because your interiority is the stuff that real relationship is made out of. It's the most vulnerable places, and they're so sacred. I can learn a lot by your Facebook profile, creeping about you on Instagram and looking at your photos, or following you around town. But as soon as you stop to disclose what your experience is like, or what's going on inside of you, we're in a very different level. I'm now on the level of a person sharing something wonderfully beautiful, their interior life. And it's on that level that as a church, we've been a little clumsy the last couple hundred years. 
as the whole culture makes it exterior with bings and dings in technology, with fast-paced life and productivity. We forgot that the heart of it all is really our hearts and the Lord's heart meeting in great vulnerability on both ends. And so what I'd like to do is let to give you guys about 15 minutes. I'm going to ask all of you, Father Mario is going to pass this out for you all. Thank you. This is a, this is a, a, a Sunday Angelus by Pope Francis from a couple months ago. It's four paragraphs. It's not long at all. I think it's one of the best things he said. No one didn't make any commentary by anyone, but he talked about pretty much what it means to proclaim the kingdom of God, what it means to be an apostle, an evangelist. I'm just going to ask you to take about 10, 15 minutes. Read it through like a Lectio Divina style. Maybe read it once, you get the gist of it. Read it a second time. And then there are two questions for you personally. Which word or phrase moved you? And then finally, in that place of being moved, what was happening for you? So you may read an image and say, oh, I'm attracted to that. Okay, seize on that. What's happening in that attraction? What are the thoughts, feelings, and desires around the word or phrase for you? And then just have a little conversation with the Lord about that.